fun. Uh, every about four to six weeks, we have a little bit longer uh, New Beginning Fellowship. <coughs> week by week, the first meeting, we have what we call a New Beginning Fellowship, which is for new believers and also for all of us to be reminded of some basic things. Do I have my mic on? Is it on? No? Maybe. You can hear? You think it's on? Okay. Okay, anyway, uh, <clears throat> yeah, the New Beginning Fellowship is just for new believers, but also for all of us to be reminded about basic things in the Christian life. Because you can never graduate from basic matters, such as reading the Bible, praying, confessing your sins, getting up early in the morning for morning revival, uh, sharing our faith with others, the precious blood. So we go over these kind of things. Very helpful. And uh, <clears throat> about once every four to six weeks, we have a little bit longer fellowship, uh, generally from one of the brothers, it's, uh, one of the elders or leading brothers, uh, about a particular burden that it may be along the same line, but uh, maybe more general about the need of the church. <clears throat> okay, so in August uh, every year, and we'll begin on August 19th, we have uh, what we call our porch meetings. And we have four of these, James, is that correct? We have three, three locally, and then the last one is with Norman and Edmund, and uh, it's also a porch meeting. Now, what is a porch meeting? And what are we talking about? Well, that's what we're going to share about this morning. Uh, <clears throat> we didn't just invent this idea. We didn't invent the term. Uh, as we'll see, this is something that is in the Bible and that Brother Lee expounds in a particular way. And we, as a church, like to have what we call porch meetings, beginning of every semester. But our sharing this morning is also going to be not only about the church having a porch meeting, but also about all of us as believers having a porch. In the same way that every church should be a new Jerusalem, in a sense, spiritually speaking, every believer should be a new Jerusalem. We should have the same qualities that we see in the New Jerusalem, which is the mingling of God with man and transparency and transformation and, and all these wonderful things. So the church needs a porch, and we as believers need a porch. So we're going to consider this matter of a porch. Now, we used to call these meetings slow-down meetings, but the better terminology is not that, although we do slow them down a little bit, <clears throat> the better terminology is a porch because this is more scriptural. Okay, so the first quote here, uh, I'm going to read it, is from the Life Study of Ezekiel. And uh, in, the li in, in the Life Study of Ezekiel, it's describing the temple. And in the description of the temple, it mentions that the temple has a porch. You know, I don't know today whether homes have porches that much or not. But I remember my grandparents used to have a porch. Maybe in the old days, people had porches more. But my grandparents had a porch, and you'd sit out there, and when it was hot, with some fans, and it would be a place to kind of relax. <clears throat> uh, there's no porch in my house, though. But anyway, here's, I'm going to read you the quote. An additional point concerning the porch is that it is used as a lobby. This makes the temple easy to approach. In the church life, we also should have a lobby. We have a lobby out here, physically, but we're talking about something more than that. Making it easy. Sometimes we don't like the word easy. 
But here, Brother Lee uses the word easy. Easy for others to come in. This means that we need to have an atmosphere that is stretching out and making it easy for others to contact us and touch us. So this is both personally and church-wise. That's why in the beginning of each semester, because we do a lot related to campuses, uh, and Norman does it and Edmund does it and we do it here, we have porch meetings. We'll explain a little bit more about that. But I'll, first of all, we want to give you the concept of a porch. Okay, such a porch makes the church accessible and enables us to take others in and hold them. In addition to making the temple approachable, the porch or lobby is a place where we can slow down. Now, that's the reason we used to call these meetings slow-down meetings, because <laughs> this is also an utterance from Brother Lee. But the porch is not only Brother Lee's utterance, it's the biblical utterance. The Bible doesn't say slow down. The Bible says porch. But what do you do when you come to the porch if you do slow down? But you slow down, you draw near, and you prepare yourself to enter the temple. So <clears throat> this we should have as a church. We do this. We have porch meetings, and we'll describe a little bit about how those are different than regular meetings. But first of all, just to go over what the concept is. Now, some of these uh, notes, not all, but some of these came from the team reunion down in June, I guess, or May. Yeah, okay, around there, uh, when they were sharing with the uh, serving ones who work on campuses about porch meetings and about us personally. Also, because if you're doing gospel work, of course, campus workers are doing that. They're on the campus. But all of us, we have our jobs, we have our relatives, we have our neighborhoods, we have our friends. We're all gospel preachers. Uh, and we can all bear fruit, and we, we should bear fruit, and, and we do. You know, many of us are talking to people all the time about Christ. So some of the points here will be principles that we can apply, as well as the serving ones on campuses, and I hope we'll have an ear to hear. Okay, then I'll continue. The truth that we have received and our practices are very high. Okay, I think uh, if you're around here very long, you realize that uh, our fellowship, the morning revival, the things we share about, <clears throat> of course, we cover basics. And that's why we have a new beginning fellowship. But we have to admit that we do share rather deep and profound things. Uh, so our practices and our, our teaching both are high. Even by the far the highest among all Christians. I don't have any reservations about saying that. It is not, but here's the point. It is not their job to come up to where we are. This is not God's way. Well, on one hand, we want them to come up, but we have to help them come up. And the same thing with people that we share the gospel with. Uh, we have to help them to understand some things. And I think the verses are going to help us a little bit more. God's way is to come to where we are. Now, you consider the verses that I have mentioned here. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. This is the first gospel preaching in the Bible. Here, God preaches the gospel. The first sinner, Adam, with his wife Eve... And the first gospel preacher, God himself. Now, they had sinned. They were ashamed. They were fallen. They were hiding from God. And God did not call them to come up. He went into the garden to seek them. And he said, where are you? And then he began a dialogue with them. So the first example of gospel preaching is not that he called them up, but he went down to them. 
And consider the Lord Jesus. God didn't call men to go to heaven. Rather, God from heaven came to earth. He lowered himself. He was a humble man born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth, which is the wrong side of the tracks. It's not, not the best part of town. So he was a humble person, a carpenter. He wasn't from, he was in a sense from a noble family, but they had lost all their prestige because his parents were poor. So anyway, you have Genesis. Then you have Luke 15:4, and there you have the good shepherd, one sheep, and he goes out to search for that lost sheep. He didn't give a whistle call and say, come back here, sheep. He went to find that sheep, to pick up that sheep, and to carry that sheep on his shoulders. Okay, this is a picture of the gospel. And then you have Luke 19:10, and there is Jesus. You know, Zacchaeus is up in a tree, but eventually the Lord comes into his house. And he says in, in, uh, in Luke 19, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. So there's a seeking, not a requiring, but a seeking. This is the atmosphere of a gospel preacher. You know, I like to read church history, and I just finished not long ago the story of uh, Count Zinzendorf, the biography. And when he sent his missionaries out, by the way, when he sent those missionaries out in 1735, 1738, this was really the first missionary work since the apostles went out in the early days. Basically, once the Catholic Church formed, there was very, very, very little going out to preach the gospel. But Zinzendorf and his people, they sent missionaries out. This was very new. And they sent them to the Caribbean from Europe. That's a long way, particularly in those days. They sent them to the Caribbean. He instructed his serving ones when they went uh, how to go. And very touching the way he told them to go. He said, you have to get under the people. You have to serve the people. You have to take the most lowly jobs. And, and all these kind of things he was telling them to do. Very, very touching. Uh, and they, they were going to, because many of them died because they went to the Caribbean and they weren't used to the temperature, they weren't used to the malaria and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but, of course, eventually a lot of people got saved. Then you have John 4 and there the Lord Jesus says, I must go through Samaria. But if you look at the map from where he was and where he was going, he didn't need to go through Samaria, not geographically. Why did he say, I must needs go through Samaria? Because there was a person there he was seeking. And that was a lost sinner. A woman who'd had six husbands or five husbands or something like that and was living with one who wasn't her husband. So again, this is the principle. God comes to us, not requiring us to come to him. Amen. Okay, now we continue. Uh, so, we must learn to educate new ones among us and that means gospel friends and Christians who begin to come among us. We must educate them and not let our terminology or practices become a hindrance to them. This is related to the slow down meetings. And, of course, even when we're preaching the gospel and sharing with people, we have to be sensitive to where they're at, what they can understand. And, yes, we want to gradually bring them up, but you don't. You don't demand a first grader begin to learn calculus. Unless you're some of these first graders. But uh, most of them you can't do that with. You have to teach them about one plus one and all this stuff. And then eventually they get their, uh, their what do you call it, uh, tables like 
you know, multiplication tables, division tables. Anyway, you bring them up step by step. There's got to be a step by step. This is human life. So this is very understandable. It shouldn't surprise us. We don't demand that they begin doing calculus. Say, what's the matter? Are you stupid? What's the problem with you? No, you teach them the basics and then you gradually bring them up. And the same with our gospel friends and our, our new believing Christians. Even many in Christianity, they have very little understanding of anything. Some almost no understanding. I have so many friends, because I come from South Louisiana where there's such a high Catholic population. So many of my friends are Catholics. They have no understanding about anything. So and my, all my dealings with them have to be so basic because they only know the, the, the nothing they received in the Catholic Church. Okay. <clears throat> So then, uh, question. This was a question that came out at the reunion, but uh, I want to just share with you the answer and then share with you a story. A question was asked to one of the co-workers, how can we help a new one pray like us? Okay, eventually we may want to help people learn how to exercise their spirit, call on the Lord, things like that. But the point is, the answer is interesting. The brother answered, a very senior co-worker answered, well, you need to learn to pray like them. And that is to demonstrate his spirit, which was we need to, we also need to be reaching out to people, not demanding. Yes, we know that some of the things we do are very helpful practices, exercising our spirit, calling on the Lord, things like this. But there's a time, there's a way, there's a place for helping people. But our spirit should be, uh, that we would even be learned to, to pray like them. And there are a lot of different ways to pray. Yes, we have some very good techniques in prayer, but we also can be reaching out to come down because the Spirit, in uh, Romans chapter 8, I believe it says, the Spirit sympathizes with our weaknesses. He even becomes weak like us. One time I was talking to a brother, and he was sharing with me how his wife and he had a hard time praying together. And uh, I said, well, how do you pray? He said, well, you know, because I, I pray, I shout, I call. And she just, she doesn't respond. And I said, well, how about you trying to ratchet it down a little bit? <laughs> and maybe she'll be able to catch up with you. And so just cool it down and just calm down some and don't be quite so strong. And this is exactly what the brother means here. Uh, 1973, I have a note here. I was in the summer training of 1973 and there was going to be some migration to the East Coast. And Brother Lee gave us a little training. Those were different than the 10-day training. They used to be a lot longer, six weeks training. So he would have a lot of different things he did. And he gave us a little training on how to contact other believers who don't meet with us. And even particularly, he was helping us to learn how to pray like them. And it wasn't to trick them. It was to come alongside of them. It was to, uh, like I told that brother, you've got to come down to where your wife is at. If she's not uh, comfortable shouting and screaming and hollering, then you have to come down to be with her. And gradually, maybe, little by little, you can help her exercise more. But this is the point. I remember he called me, not me, me and some others up there to demonstrate how to do this. And uh, I completely failed the test. Because I was, you know, I don't know, I can't remember how he put it, but anyway, I failed. And he said, no, 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 you have to calm down. You have to be a little quieter. You have to be a little softer. Uh, 
Okay. Now, let me read some more here. This is another life study. This is from the life study of Job. Number one, suppose, this is brotherly, suppose someone had tried to talk to Job about all these things, all these New Testament things, as we say it. If someone had done this, Job might have said, what are you talking about? I have learned a lot from God, about God from my forefathers. I've been paying attention to what I've learned, yet you say I am wrong in the wrong realm and that God intends to build up something of himself in me. You speak to me about incarnation, regeneration, transformation. I don't know what any of these things mean. Job simply does not have the capacity to receive such a revelation. He did not have these terms in his spiritual vocabulary. He continues. In principle, the situation is the same with many Christians today. The divine revelation has been given, it's been written, it's been interpreted. Nevertheless, many believers have no understanding of the economy of God, divine dispensing, divine economy. They think being a Christian is simply believing in Jesus, Son of God, he died, shed his blood for our sins, saved us through his death. The Holy Spirit is now with us to help us behave, to do good, that God would be glorified. We go to heaven when we die. Those who hold this concept of the Christian life may not realize that being a Christian also includes sanctification, transformation, confirmation, divine dispensing, divine economy, the new Jerusalem. If you want to teach them about these things, you must do so in a very gradual way. That's the point. Beginning with the most elementary things. So, again, this is really a no-brainer. The whole system of education is based on this. You children, we, they, we help them incrementally learn things. And with new believers and even many believers, who have no real spiritual understanding, we, we have to have the realization. One time Brother Lee said, he said, you know, you may be a young serving one on the campus, and uh, one of the professors, a PhD, gets saved. You have to realize that while you respect him and respect his position as a professor on the campus, spiritually speaking, he is a baby. He is a baby. And uh, you have, still have to help him incrementally and gradually, even though he's a big shot on the campus. He has no understanding of things. So we have to help people gradually. Okay, number two, we should not allow the terminology with which we are familiar to be a hindrance to fellowship. Yes, the terminology is very good. Uh, we have great terminology, and it's all based on the Bible. It comes from the Bible. A lot of it is just biblical words. Some of it just expounding of biblical concepts. But still, we have to help others. And as we introduce these terms, be sensitive to the fact that they may need a little explanation and to give them little by little these things, not all at once, everything. And we have to admit that if you only come to a big meeting, sometimes this can be quite overwhelming. And that's why home meetings are very important. And James just sent me some email the other day or yesterday or day before, where Brother Lee was even helping us realize that when we have a new believer or a new one, uh, don't push them to come to all the meetings. They may, not be, they may not have that capacity. They need a home meeting for sure, and maybe gradually they need the Lord's Day meeting, at least the first half, uh, and let their appetite grow, let their capacity grow. But don't push them. Because they may not have the capacity for everything. Let them grow. Life grows. 
people mature physically and spiritually. So we shouldn't raise barriers that will actually become a stumbling to people. And yet, sometimes I think many of us have done this. And I myself certainly am guilty of this. <clears throat> okay. Other Christians may not be familiar with the word economy. That's just an example. In such a case, maybe we should speak of God's will. This is, this is Ephesians. This is actually the life study, I think, when I was there in that training in 1973. He was talking a lot about this. Okay, now I want to share with you something from the Bible about principle of caring for others. And I told the brothers this morning before this meeting that some portions of Brother Lee's expounding to me are so classic that I just think this man must be from God and his speaking must be from God because who understands this? To me, this is one of these portions in Matthew 7. It may not strike you this way, but it strikes me this way. Okay, this is in the, generally the portion we call the Sermon on the Mount or people call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and the first 12 verses, I don't have them all here, but they're a section begins with, do not judge that you may not be judged. And generally, most people kind of think that's the big emphasis here. Don't judge that you not be judged. Well, that's a part of the emphasis, but it's not the biggest emphasis. The biggest emphasis, actually, is in the concluding verse that helps you understand the foregoing verses. You got to, in a sense, if you could read verse 12 first and then go back, to read the verses before verse 12, you're going to get a better understanding of what goes before it. So let's read verse 12 all together. Therefore, that you wish men would do to you, so also you do to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Okay, so these verses are going to be on caring for others. What you would like people to do to you, you do to them. We all would like people to care for us. Not to disregard us, not to stumble us, not to judge us. Who likes to be judged? Anybody in this room like to be judged, Greg? No, I don't like to be judged. Who likes to be judged? No one likes to be judged. So that's part of caring for others. Being blind to the faults of other people, which all of us are very keen, generally, to Dan's faults, but not to Collie's faults. <laughs> you know, I can see his problems, but I don't see my problems, right? This is, a, this is all of our problems. Okay. So, but, but let me just pick it up. Remember that theme that is caring for others. This is what these 12 verses talk about. So it begins with judging. Don't judge that, other, uh, that you not be judged. And then in caring for others, he talks about if you're judging others, but you look and see, well, there's a little splinter in Dan's eye. A little splinter, but in my eye there's a big beam. But I don't see the beam, I just see the splinter. But... If I will deal with my own problem, then I will actually be able to help him. Okay? Maybe he needs help. But, if you, I, I have a big beam in my eye, then my help is going to hurt him probably. It's like a doctor doing surgery and his hands are dirty. What does he do? He will kill the patient because he'll infect the patient. So, this is not caring for others. Deal with yourself first, then you'll be able to help this person in a proper spirit, in a proper way, in a proper time, maybe not to do anything. Who knows? But the Lord helps everybody. Okay, so, so you're, you deal with yourself first. Now, then it goes to verse 6. 
Do not give that which is holy to dogs, neither cast your pearls before hogs, lest they trample them and turn and tear you. Okay, now here this verse is taken by people and they make it stand alone. And they, they kind of have a negative attitude about it. And that is, okay, I'm dealing with Greg. He's a worldly person. And I start telling him all these high spiritual things. And he just tears into me to, to belittle me, to curse me, to mock me. Believe me, I've had this happen to me. Maybe you have too. And I think to myself, what a dog. What a dog this guy is. What a hog this guy is. Okay. But that's not the point, really. The point is, you shared with him things he could not receive. He didn't have the capacity to receive these things. So what did you do? You stirred up the dog in him. You stirred up the hog in him. If you had just shared something that was able to be proper and appropriate for who he was, maybe the dog would have been quiet. Maybe the hog would not have torn at you. This is the principle of caring for others. So you share all these wonderful things, high things, and then somebody just, you're crazy. They just tear into you. And you think, dog, hog. But you made him a dog and a hog because you didn't care for him. Okay? And then, verse 7, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Okay? Remember the context. Ask about what? Ask about how to help this person. What to share with Greg. Ask the Lord. Seek the Lord. Knock the Lord. Knock. What can I share with this person? Don't just start telling him everything you know. That doesn't, that's not caring for him. That's caring for yourself. You like to talk. But how about him? So you ask, you seek, you knock. And then he goes on to say, For what man is among you when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? What does he need? He needs something to eat. He needs some food. But you're going to give him a stone. You're going to knock him over the head with a stone with all your high things that he's totally unprepared to receive. And then, the next one, if he asks for a fish, you give him a serpent. A fish you can eat, but a snake, you know, you, they'll bite you. So again, you're creating a bad situation. This, isn't this incredible expounding of the Word of God? Amen. Who came up with this anyway? God came up with this. Okay, then it ends. The section is concluded. Therefore, that ties it all together. Therefore, all that you wish men would do to you. Don't you want people to care for you? To be considerate of you? To be kind to you? To help you? To give you loaf to eat and fish? Not snakes and rocks? So you do to them. So this is amazing, huh? So we need a porch as a church, and we need a porch individually as we shepherd and help people. Now, just to uh, wrap it up here on the, on, the, on the back page, or the second page, again, don't misunderstand. We do need to help people make progress. Just like the kids, we don't, we're not going to be happy if a kid stays in the first grade his whole life. Right? <laughs> That's going to be very sad. 
But we do need to let people grow and help them incrementally with basics and things like this. So for just to just use terms very loosely, particularly in home meetings, because in the big meetings we really can't, we can, you know, we have the basic new beginning fellowship. But we're gonna, we have to go ahead, we have to take care of the church. So we'll go ahead with our, our meetings and we can't just always stay on the kindergarten level. Uh, but in the home meetings, we can really reach out, and in personal shepherding, we can really reach out, and we have to define these terms, just like you have to explain mathematics and multiplication tables and division tables and fractions and all this stuff to young people. They don't know about it. And history, that's my thing, history. You have to, and I'm really concerned, you know, a lot of people are these days, young people don't know any history, you know, they don't know anything. And so they, oh, communism, hey, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Have we tried that before? <laughs> yes, we tried that before. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. <laughs> it doesn't work. Anyway, we have to teach children history. <laughs> and we have to teach our new ones things like economy, and consummation, all these terms that we have, these are graduate level terms. This is PhD stuff. Corporate, even corporate. Corporate, what is corporate? Like corporation? Confirmation, confirmation, what is that? Deification, oh my goodness. You had better explain that one. Uh, mingling, I mean all these things. Prophesying, Lord's Day, this is Lord's Day, what's the Lord's Day? I know Sunday, I know Monday, I know Tuesday, but I don't know Lord's Day. So you have to explain that. Saints, of course, with all my Catholic friends, you know, I say saints and say, what? You think you're a saint? <laughs> you got to explain that, you know. And uh, you got to show them the Bible and stuff like that. Blending, pro prophet, what is, of course, to prophesy, that's a big one. To prophesy, what? Do y'all prophesy? Are you predicting the end of the earth or what? You have to explain what does the word prophesy mean? It mainly is not to predict, but it mainly is to speak on behalf of, to speak for. Even most of the prophets, if you read the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these people, they did a little bit of predicting, but mainly they were spokesmen for God. They spoke on God's behalf. Dispensing, they have, you know, people don't know what that is. Organic. All these words, these are wonderful words. Uh, dispositional, metabolic. So when we, we just shouldn't assume that people will understand, we have to explain. This is to care for others. This is Matthew 7, 12. Don't stir up the hog and the dog in them, but let them understand things. Even New Jerusalem, people don't know, what, what's the New Jerusalem? They know about heaven, but they never heard of the New Jerusalem. I've never heard of the New Jerusalem. Uh, so many things like this. So anyway, this is our fellowship on the matter, and you can look at this list. But again, there's nothing wrong, don't understand it. There's nothing wrong with any of these words. And in our meetings, we're going to speak these things. But we need to be sensitive, particularly with home meetings, with personal fellowship, after meetings, to explain things. Did you understand that? You know, I, I, I like to joke, or not joke, I like to tell people that years ago, we had a sister, many of you don't know her, but uh, of course a lot of do know her, Hanya, the Egyptian doctor, who began meeting with us, I don't know how many years back, but uh, she was an Orthodox Coptic Christian. She would say, not just me, she would say probably she was not born again. 
but she was 100% for Christianity. Hmm. I mean, she was Christian as opposed to Muslim, raised in Egypt, but Orthodox. I am a Christian, but probably not really born again. But anyway, when she started coming to the meetings, uh, because we met her, a brother was a professor at OU, and he was, she was his resident. Uh, <clears throat> she was coming, and in those days, we were sharing from Exodus in our Lord's Day morning meeting. We were sh sharing messages. And it just so happened, this Egyptian doctor comes among us, and is on Sunday mornings in the meetings where we're sharing about all the plagues on Egypt. You know, the frogs and the Egyptians this and that and God's judgment on Egypt and everything. And I was just, oh my goodness, how is she going to take this? So at every meeting I'd go up there and I'd say, Hanya, are you okay? <laughs> you know, we're talking spiritual. We're not, we don't have any problem with people from Egypt. We love people from Egypt. But this is a spiritual kind of allegory or this kind of stuff. And she would laugh. She'd say, oh, I know that, I know that, no problem. Anyway, eventually she got really born again, and then uh, I remember one time she was in my house with my wife and I eating, and uh, we touched the matter of baptism. Because she had been sprinkled as a baby, or the Orthodox was sprinkled as a baby, but she'd never been properly baptized since she'd become, she had become a believer by this time. And oh, her first reaction was very negative, <clears throat> very offended that we would suggest that she should be baptized again. <laughs> so we backed off for quite a bit. But gradually, the Lord began to touch her about this. And I think eventually Roger talked to her, and she was willing to be baptized. And of course, that made a big, big progress for her. But we have to be sensitive to people. We have to care for them like we care for our own children. And you, 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 know, you teach them little by little things. So this is very important. The church needs a porch. And we need a porch. And with the porch meetings we'll have, we will slow down some things. And that is, they'll be a little bit more understandable. We'll have some introductions. We'll sing from a sheet of paper songs that will be passed out. Uh, there'll be a little bit more speaking and kind of understandable messages, gospel word. And even when we, we'll even introduce some of our practices that may be a little different, a lot different. Because for one thing, how many Christian groups meet in a circle or a square between zero and minus one? You know, <laughs> nobody. So we have to explain why do we meet this way? Why aren't we all facing an altar and uh, these kinds of things? So we introduce the concepts of mutuality and we show that this is very biblical. Amen. It's not just novel, it's biblical. Amen. We're not trying to be novel. We're trying to come back to biblical practices and even the speaking amen, praising, things like this. We introduce these thoughts, these concepts, so people find these more understandable. And it means a lot. So when we have our welcome meetings, of course, we're going to invite new ones from campuses. But this is also an excellent time to invite friends and relatives and colleagues who this would be a more appropriate beginning for them to be introduced to a larger meeting on Sunday morning, the Lord's Day morning, that would be, well, there would be some explanation. So the first one will be on August 19th, and we'll have three others, and then the fourth one will be with Norman and Edmund in September, I think, right, James? Yes. So anyway, keep that in mind. Okay, so we can have just a little bit of sharing. How about let's just keep it short, though, to 30 seconds, uh, just to confirm something, and then we'll take a break about 11 o'clock and have uh, our coffee and then have another sharing.